Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather again this morning in the midst of all the situation. You are with us. You have graced us. You have blessed us. And collectively, as a corporate body, we come together to exalt you, to magnify you, to give you the praise and the glory in the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Abba, Father, it's your Holy Spirit that has pulled our hearts through Christ closer to you. The relationship that we derive from you. The blessings that come from you. And this morning, O oh God, we join together in returning back to you the blessing and the honor. And we praise you, we thank you, we worship you. Now, Father, we just want to give honor to you for this moment together. That you are the focus through Christ, that our hearts, O oh God, would be closer knit to you, and we give you full access, Holy Spirit, to move in our hearts, touch lives of those that are here and those that are watching, and minister to us through your word. Minister, Holy Spirit, touch lives today, even as we wait upon you, even as we continue to minister to you, minister to our spirit, soul, body, in every areas of our life, and even financially and in every otherwise to us, to our loved ones and to your people across the world. And for those precious ones watching, we come together, Lord, that you would touch them all, that together we would say, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's people said, amen and amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord. And welcome once again, especially those that are here with us uh, present and those that are watching, welcome to everyone. We've had, I hope, had a wonderful time together in Thanksgiving. And I know it's just between, after Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's a certain time in our life we go through what would be a sense of not being content. Because I know it's not been the easiest time, it's not been the best of times. And in the midst of everything, I know the... The party and the get-togethers and the turkey gets smaller and smaller. The economic crisis is upon us. It certainly becomes a very difficult time for so many people who miss their loved ones or maybe going through a job loss or maybe in handicaps or in the midst of all the trials and financial situations, health crises. I know it's not been the best for so many people, but I want you to understand, in the midst of all that is happening, in spite of everything, Paul is teaching us that we need to learn to be content. So my passage this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 11, towards the end, in which he says, I, am, I have learned what to a state I am, David, to be content. I have learned in what to a state I am, David, to be content. Uh, it's a very elusive uh, pursuing, particularly after this thing called content. 
and it gets even more difficult. Everybody is searching for that piece of what we call happiness or contentment, and it's basically out of uh, so many people's grasp. Uh, you know, and yet, in the midst of all that God has given, we still aren't content. There's a story of a man from New York City going all the way uh, to the island and finding a beautiful place, and there he spies upon a fisherman who's working, toiling so hard, and they get a break, and they sit down for a cup of coffee, and this man from New York City said, I would give anything just to be here. That's why I work and work and work like a dog, that I could be just like you, taking your time and enjoying the beautiful breeze, the sea, and all therein, and the, and the grandeur of this beautiful moment. And he asked him, what do you yearn to be, and where do you want to be? Haven't you reached that state in your life that you could be content? And the humble fisherman says, I fish and fish and fish and fish. I fish and fish and fish. And even at night, I'm dreaming of fishing. And the man said from New York, for what? Just so that I could go to New York City in the skyscraper and live the rest of my life. Two different people, two different persuasion, and they come to that place, they're not content wherever they are and aren't. It's just so much like us. I want to give you a little background of this passage where Paul says, in whatever state I am, David to be content. When you look at the background, this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, Macedonia, and these are people that have helped him so uh, awesomely in the past. And so he writes to them about, this is in verse 10, if you go a verse earlier, in which he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked the opportunity. Of course, you have helped me in the past. I take this moment to acknowledge that in gratitude for the mercy that you, the Lord, has given to me through you all. And of course, there have been that you wanted to do it again, but you didn't have that opportunity. You lacked the opportunity. And the next couple of verses, all the way to verse 18, he goes on to say how beyond everything else he's grateful, and in the midst of the circumcision situation, how he is looking to the Lord, and he says that my God shall supply all my needs. Now, I want you to understand there's a wrong assumption that Paul never needed money. Uh, he worked all his life as a tent maker, which is true. He and Aquila and Priscilla and probably Apollos were all in the tent making, and I'm sure he must have trained others, and it's a great tent working uh, business that helped him in the business. However, there were time and time again which, in which he basically received financial aid, and not only for himself, while he was in prison at a time when he couldn't do the tent making, and of course in Rome, empire, the prisoners had to fend for themselves, or loved ones had to come in and give, otherwise you just are left to rot with no food and nothing else in the cold, rat-infested prison. And obviously, the Philippian church had reached out not only in financial gift, because in the next couple of verses, you will also hear about a man that came in from the church in Philippi, Macedonia, all the way to be able to reach out uh, with another person by the name of Epaphroditus, and he and the money made its way, was a tremendous, tremendous blessing. So it's wrong to assume that Paul did not receive any financial help or that he was not basically an instrument through others reaching out to him to reach out for the very work and the mission work in Thessalonica and other places. 
For example, he writes there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1, 2, 3, and 4, how he says, we do not, you do not, uh, I don't, I know yet you, uh, you have heard about this, of how God has bestowed on the churches in Macedonia, and he goes on to say what they did in verse 2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. So he's bragging of that church in Philippi, in Macedonia, to the church in Corinthians, and how time and again, and he goes on to say, out of their dire poverty, they gave. And this was amazing because Paul never uh, stopped thinking about them and thanking. So thinking and thanking don't go together in thanksgiving. But now he's holed up in this dungeon, a rat-infested dungeon. And in the midst of all of this, what he's saying is all of the financial help at this point is stopped. And at this point in time, he's saying very graciously, but my Lord shall supply all my needs in chapter 4 and verse 19 according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God has supplied and God will supply all my needs. I want you to understand when you're looking at this place in verse 11, I have learned, and he goes on to say in the state that I am, to be content. And this is very important and so when you think in terms of content, there's a lot of explanation. It's something very hard to explain, but just for simplicity, uh, there are better explanations. There's a simp the content or contentment is simply the sweet tranquility that is hidden and yet so deep within the recesses of our spirit that is so dependent on uh, being loyal to God and on the Word of God through Jesus Christ. So that is something that we can somewhere understand a contentment not based like joy on circumstances like happiness is based on, but like joy, it is deep within the recesses, independent and apart from, and in spite of the situation that we may be facing, whether ups or downs, and this is very important. And when you look at the content, it is deep down in our spirit, deep down in our hearts. So no matter how bad the turbulence is outside, no matter how bad the circumstances are outside, no matter how bad the situation is there outside, and within our own own soul simply with the emotions and with the will and things playing uh, uh, deep down in our heart, there's something Paul is saying that I have learned in the state that I am in to be content and no matter what the situation and the circumstances is. So it's important that we understand that deep down in his heart, there's something that Paul is saying. And very importantly, the first point he gives us is right there in chapter 4 of of Philippians and verse 10. And listen to the first word he says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. The first thing is, no matter what is going on, no matter maybe because you did not get an opportunity, maybe there was uh, things coming, it got late, no matter whether uh, things have uh, stopped in every aspect, no matter what it is, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Right off the bat, the word joy is something very different from happen, happiness, happenings around, situations around, conditions around. No, this content is like rejoicing in the midst of poverty, in the midst of prison, in the midst of difficulty, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. My joy is in the Lord and not in the circumstances, not whether I get it or whether I don't get it. And this is what he says, I'm very content. That now at last you okay. So right 
in the beginning, he's talking about what this contentment is simply, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Yes, he's hungry. Yes, he's in prison. Yes, he's in a very difficult situation. And yet, the statement Paul is giving is, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Number two is found in chapter 4 and verse 11. Listen to what he says, not that I speak of respect of want. And this is what is very important. No matter what the situation, I have learned. This is continuing to be a learning lesson for me. We're all learners in the Word. We all learn from experience. We all learn from lessons that we have gone through. In all of this, Paul is taking it a higher gear to say, I have learned the spiritual application, the lessons that I could apply in my life. And he says, in whatever state. So it simply means whether I have things to possess or whether I don't have all means to possess, I have learned. And this is important, it's a learning lesson, whether you have that possession, or whether you have some possession, or you have no possession. It's important we understand the implication of what Paul is writing to the church in Philippi as he gives thanks to them. But I rejoice greatly, this is what he's talking about, no matter what the situation is, even if I possess or don't possess, at this particular state in my life, I have learned. It is a learning lesson for every one of us. You know, there was a king who went through a very difficult physical ailment, and he basically was looking out to see what could help him. And in the midst of all that pain or whatever the physical condition was, he was very discontent. He wasn't happy at all. So he called the wise men, and he asked them, what in the world is going on. I have everything to enjoy. I have the money, I have a family, I have all the things around me, and yet deep in my heart is an utter discontentment. Is there a solution that you can give me that I could find that contentment? And so the wise men got together, and finally one of the great wise men of this, of this, of this kingdom stood up and said, uh, uh, O king, I know what you should do. Search out for a man that is contented. Look around in your kingdom. There must be someone that is happy in the midst of all that he's going through. And when you find that man, ask him if you could borrow his shirt and wear his shirt for the next couple of days. Maybe that contentment would be contagious and would come into you and then you would be contented no matter what you're going through. So he sent scouts across the kingdom, and he waited and waited, and finally said, what's going on? Can't you find someone who's contented? Can't you find someone that I could wear a shirt and be contented? Finally, the scouts returned, and they came in and said, oh, king, finally we did find a man who is very contented in your kingdom. No matter what the situation is, there's a sense of a state of contentment. And then the king said, I understand what you said, but I see that you have come empty-handed. Where is the shirt? And this is what he, they said to him, o, o king, the fact of the matter is, this contented man is so poor, he doesn't have a shirt. And he said, what are you talking about? No, he's so poor, he doesn't have a shirt, but he's contented. 
So no matter what the state of your possession, it doesn't matter. The most important thing is not what is outside, or not what you wear, or not where you live, or not what your place or position, or whatever your state in life is. It's what's inside of you. So Paul is saying, I greatly rejoice. And no matter whatever possession that I have or don't have, I have learned to be contented. Again, he says, no matter what state in chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, I am, I've learned to be contented in whatever state and whatever state, no matter what the situation, no matter what the condition is, no matter in the midst of what would be stuck in the midst of a very difficult economy, that people say we are on the level where we would be falling apart with the recession. No one knows what's going on. People are holding on to whatever they have to be able to be sure that I have something left for a rainy day. And in the midst of all of this, we tend to feel a discontent. We tend to blame the situation that is taking place, unnecessary two wars that we don't need to be involved in, unnecessary throwing out money when there's desperate situation deep down in our own nation, and then again our own situation where we realize things are getting leaner and thinner, and those days of fat days are over. Those great days that we talk about is but a history and no more a reality, especially for the young people who look at history and say, wow, this was a great nation one time, but we're simply slipping at academically and in terms of technological-wise, as well as much as basically in terms of our standard of living. So there is a sense of discontentment, particularly as we head towards the holidays and Christmas. And in these seasons of time, many people say, why even celebrate? Because it gets so expensive. So it's not just an individual, but it's a collective sense of discontentment. And what can we do? Paul says, and no matter not just simply whatever my position in life is, no matter whatever pos possession that I have, no matter whatever state that I may be, in any and every circumstances, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. So I'm learning. In the state that I'm learning to be content. Learning to be content. And this is what he tells us. That no matter what situation or condition you're going through, it's a learning lesson in the curves, the ups and downs of life, to be able to learn, not to be affected by it negatively, but no matter what, to be happy to see this ups and downs, looking at it, but never letting it get inside you. No matter what shirt you wear, it is not so much what you wear, what you put on, what you clothe yourself with, it's so much what you clothe deep down in your spirit with the power of God's Holy Spirit. Here's a man, a member of a church, a precious man who has faithfully thrived, who's lived honest as much as possible, and he comes distraught. He comes to the point of totally losing his mind. And he asks the pastor, I am in a deep trouble. I'm losing my peace of mind. I'm so discontent. And of course, the pastor knew the situation. Was a very wealthy man who did very well, who had given to the missions and given to the church. And 
Lohan Dior, with the state of economy, maybe he put the money in the wrong place, he lost it all. Just the other day, he was a billionaire, then became a millionaire, and now he was no more in that category. He had lost it all. So he was so distraught, he was so discontent, he was so unhappy. And he comes to the pastor and says, do you understand? I'm actually losing my mind. I've lost everything. I have lost everything. The pastor looked at him and said, so you're telling me you lost God? He said, no, 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 I'm talking about my financial situation, so you haven't lost God. I'm talking about my financial situation, so you're telling me that you lost the Savior who has been there for you. No, I'm not talking about the spiritual. I know my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but it is my financial situation that is ruined. And so the pastor said, obviously you're telling me the Holy Spirit is not there with you. He said, no, 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 I believe in the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. I rejoice in the Lord, but I have lost that joy. So the pastor says, obviously it looks like you lost your salvation. Pastor, please, I've lost my finance. I've lost not my, I didn't lose my salvation. Oh, so you lost your faith then. Pastor, I have my faith. It's my money I've lost. So the pastor says, obviously, you lost your character. No, pastor, I'm still steadfast. I'm living as much as possible in, in that place where God calls me to be holy. So you have not lost your God. You have not lost your Savior. You have not lost the Holy Spirit. You have not lost your faith. You have not lost your salvation. You have not lost your character. What men have you lost? And this man looked and said, actually, I've lost nothing. I have it all. Money comes and money goes, but God is with me. Jesus Christ is the same, unchanging, yesterday, today, and forever. The word of God is still true. The joy of the Lord is still here. And the Holy Spirit never left me for a moment. I hold on to the faith, and God's salvation is so rich, so pure, and so full. I greatly thank God. Money will go, money will come. You will go up and then you will go down. No matter what your situation is, it is changing, but deep in your heart, the things that matter will never be lost because you have God's presence deep within you. One of the things we need to understand is when God made a promise to the people of Israel, and he's, they're entering into the promised land. It's called the Canaan land. They've seen the fruit. They've seen all of the pomegranate, the grapes, and marvelous. And so as they're on the verge of entering into the new land, God is saying in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 11, the land that you go to possess is, and he says, is a land of hills. Period. Love it. No, no. I didn't call a period to it. Let me continue. It is a land of hills and valleys. And drink water of the rain of heaven. You need to be dependent on me for the sunshine. You need to be dependent on me for the water and for the plants and for everything that you have to do. It's you and me partnering together. So yes, it's got the hills. But it comes with the valley. So just in case you think it's hill, 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 remember, this is only Canaan land in heaven. Your place in heaven is totally different. But at this point in earth, you need to realize you are here on earth, 
And the hills is to keep you prosperous. The valley is to keep you from being proudful and to be dependent on me. Hills and valleys are part of our allotment in our spiritual life. You cannot have one without the other, nor can you have the other without the hill. They come together, and they come and form into what would be our dependency, not upon the hills or the valley, but upon the Lord who waters and who gives us blessing in spite of whatever situation. So Paul is saying, I've learned in what state that I am in, that I've learned to be content in any possession or no possession, in any state or no state of what would be circumstances or situation or conditions. Paul is learning that sense of contentment. So this is what he says in chapter 4 of Philippians and verse 12. He says, I found the secret. The secret of contentment. And this is what he says. I know. Now, he's not talking about someone else's experience. He says, I know. This is what I have experienced personally. How to be abased. How to go into abject poverty. How to go into a situation where I don't have the help. Also to know how it is to abound. Prosperity. So, whether it's poverty or Prosperity, it's not what it is, bad or good. It's simply how you handle it. And he says, everywhere in all things, I am instructed. I've learned the secret both to be full and to be empty, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. They are part and parcel of the portion that God has allocated to me. And I have to be in that stage and in that place where I have to learn how to be content when I'm full, how to be content when I'm not so full. How to be content when I have it all and how to be content when I lose it all. How to be content not in the conditions, situations, or circumstances of life, but to be content in the Lord that I greatly rejoice. It's in the Lord, and it's in the unchanging God. So when you think about this, four words that I sort of think in terms of contentment is to do with E and, and T and P and L. When you think about what would be an important, it's simply talking about everything, sum and substance of what we go through. And E is the experience in life. It's a great teacher. God allows these experiences to happen to us, good or bad. It's how we balance and come to that place of learning. Think about Paul for a second. You and I could basically say the same thing. Paul had gone to that place of being full. And then God brought him through the situation to be empty. Paul had gone through the situation where he was prosperous, and yet he was faithful to God. And he went through a situation of poverty, and he was faithful to God. He came through a situation that he had it all, and God raised him up that he could be in the palaces and the homes of great people, including businesswomen like Lydia. And then to have lost it all, to be in a rat-infested dungeon in Philippine prison because of his faithfulness to God. 
But just as he was happy in the homes of the wealthy, he was just as happy in that prison dungeon infested with rats. The situation is, he was not, and his happiness was not, or his rejoicing and contentment was not in the environment, in the situations, in the conditions, or in the circumference, but simply in the person of the Lord Jesus. That's why in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 he writes, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say, rejoice. This coming from a man, not in some five-star hotel, writing to some prosperity preach, uh, business people to give him money, but he's writing to and from prison to these people. And he says, I'm not stretching my hands to ask you to get, no, I'm very contented. Excuse me? I thought you would be begging. I thought you would make me feel like, oh my God, I've got to give you. No, he's saying, really, it was God who gave me through you. And at this point, I realize, no matter what the situation is, that God will supply all my needs, and I give thanks to God. I thank you for your generosity, and the mercy has been given to me because of God through you. I'm grateful for that. So what I find about this experience is the ups and downs, the have it and have not, all of them comes to a place where he balances together and says, I put together the loss and the gain, and I've realized actually what I thought was gain in the natural turned out to be in the spiritual a loss. And what was a loss that I calculated? When I think about it, everything that I've suffered is nothing compared to the great excellency of the knowledge that is in Jesus Christ. He's able to balance his experience to come to that conclusion. God is faithful. That's been the experience of Joseph. One time, he was the darling of his father and mother. Next time, he was to be sold to the Midianites. And the next moment, he is Pharaoh. He's a favorite guy. And then the next moment, while things were going so well, there was nothing but promotion. He was put into prison. And when things were falling apart, that he was standing before the Pharaoh, ultimately becoming the second man. What could you say about him? A young man with a promising dream and desire, growing up in Jerusalem, was taken away. While he was still young, literally kidnapped, taken up into Babylon, and forced into their own system, their own learning. His name was changed. In the midst of everything, you would have said, that's the loss. Never to see your homeland again, never to see the temple again, and yet becoming the greatest force of great, great, great force to be reckoned with in the, in the Hebrew kingdom. A man that spoke so much about the messian, messianic coming. What a wonderful man this Daniel is. Everybody, including Paul, has gone through that experience that made them wise, wise through the learning they received through that experience. Not only E, but there's a thing called T, time. Time is a good teacher. We all start young in the Lord. We think we have it all. We think we are masters the day we came to the Lord. And then we learn we know nothing. We need to start to know him more. The moment we thought we were full, we really were empty. 
The moment we thought we have it all, we don't, we haven't even scratched the surface. And then the time has been a good teacher because we realize time is allocated to us so much in measure, few days. In fact, Proverbs chapter 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Teach us to number our years? No. In days. Because our days here on earth is measured. Our days. In fact, there's only so many hours in a day. There's so many days in a week. There's only so many days in a year. In the midst of it, there's only so many days I have on earth. Ultimately, whether I live 10 years or whether I live 20 years, it's not how many years I live, it's not the quantity of years, it's the quality of years that I live for the Lord. And then, lo and behold, when this time shall be no more, time will be caught up in eternity. And everything that I've gone through in this life is nothing compared to the excellency that is in heaven. The joy that is in heaven and the treasure that is in heaven and the reward that is in heaven. And I would have said to myself, oh God, why didn't I go through more of that pain and suffering for you? Why didn't I for eternity have been rewarded? One life and only one life is granted. So measure your days, measure our days, and learn to live in the time. And time is a good teacher, that we learn the lessons of time from our own being burned and from our own bad experiences to learn and say, no, never again am I going to be burned by this experience. Time has taught me. And when you look at it, time is a precious commodity. It's a great teacher, but that's all that is allocated to us. We don't get our time stretched out. It is loaned. It is granted. It's not ours. And so what Paul is saying is what the wise man in the book of Ecclesiastes is saying. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, there's a time for everything. For the ups and downs, for the failures and success, even to the moments when I've fallen fat on my face, but I've come out, not giving it all up, to be able to say, thank God for another day that he's given. So we realize in chapter 3 and verse 6, what he says is there's a time to lose, a time to get, a time to keep, a time to cast away. Look at it. A time to lose your money, a time to gain your money, a time to be able to keep, and time to be able to cast out. There is nothing constant except time, and time is still not constant. It is He who grants me the time. He is timeless. So in all of this, we're learning not only experience as a wise teacher, but time also teaches us, and there are lessons to be learned. And that's where the word process comes in. Process is able to come together and cultivate together and to process together. In fact, uh, G.K. Chesterton once said that process is like the agriculture. It's what you get out in what you put into the, the mud into the soil. If you put nothing, you get nothing. Don't go off digging for something that you haven't planted. 
So process is something, the sum and substance of everything that we have in terms of what would be time and in, time, in terms of things that God has given uh, in the various aspects that uh, uh, environment and other things that we have gone through. And ultimately, this process comes to a place where we learn to balance from what we learned that it doesn't matter whether it rains. It doesn't matter what is going to happen tomorrow. I have to live. I have to plant so I would see the seeds come forth into uh, plants and trees and fruits and vegetables in spiritual life. This is what I'm expected. That leads us to number four. E, experience is important. T, time is important. And then we find the process and Processing everything that simply the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things, good and bad, the ups and downs, have it and have it not, work together for good. You mean to say even the bad things? Yes, even the bad things with good things, actually God allows it. So all things work together for good to those who love God. And we are being daily moved in and, and processed by God, He's shaping us and He's moving us, changing us from the earthly to the heavenly. And it's a process we learn. And then we realize the earthly things must fade and then the earthly and the heavenly things must come. So we were, when we were beginning in Christian life, we thought we have it all until we realized the greatest enemy is our own self. And to be able to die to self, to be able to live in the new man by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now comes to the learning. I want you to understand contentment and joy and all the things of God are not automatic. We were not born with contentment. We were not born with gratitude. We were not born with praise God. That was lost in the Garden of Eden. These not, things are not automatically, it has to be learned. And the learning comes through experience and through time, even though the Word of God is sure. We didn't look at the principle, there were the practices come out of the experience, and that have come out of the time, and that have come out of the process. And we are learning. We are in that state of learning. And so Paul is saying, I am a student of experience and time. I'm a student of process and I'm a learner because the Word of God is my guiding light. And if I did not follow the Word, I could fall and stumble, but I've learned through that experience in that time to be a better man. And I've learned from my mistake just as I've learned from the good things. So we have come to that position that God has granted us not just hills or not just valleys, but a combination of hills and mountains that we look to God for the rain, for our dependency, because it's not a formula that we follow. It is simply the person of the Lord that we follow and His divine word. Amen. That brings us to something very important. No matter how formulas come to be, there is no formula. If we had formulas, then why depend on the Holy Spirit? Why have to have the reading of the Bible? 
There are no accepted formulas. The word of God tells us to depend on the Lord. Now, that being said, there's something called time and chance. Excuse me, I don't believe in chance. Well, there are things that happen. Things just happen. It happens unexpectedly. Of course we know the good will be rewarded on earth and the bad would be punished on earth. But it so happens the bad man wins here on earth and the good man loses here on earth. This just happens. Why? Don't look at it from an earthly perspective. Look at it from a heavenly perspective. Job didn't understand what hit him. He did all that was right and his four miserable friends told him he sinned. They did not have an acute spiritual vision. Their perspective was human. If you are blessed, that is God giving you wealth. If you are cursed, if God hates you, that was the accepted principle in some way. But not always. Because God will choose to crisscross his hand and where there is blessing, there could be discipline to bet, make us better. So you find in Ecclesiastic chapter 9 and listen to what it says in verse 11. Very interesting. I returned and I saw under the sun that, listen to me, what he says, race is not for the swift. Of course race is for the swift. The fastest runner gets the medal. Not always. Things could happen. He could slip and fall. No, the battle for the stronger. Of course the battle is for the strong. Not always. Sometimes the strong can be defeated. And goes on to say, neither yet the bread for the wise. Of course the wise makes the bread. Not always. Sometimes they don't get the bread. And then he says, nor yet the riches to the men of understanding. Of course. Men of understanding have money. No, they could lose it all. No, yet the favor of men of skill. But time and chance happen to them all. It's an equal sense. You never know what happens. A man in the city could do well until, boom, the whole thing bangs. Someone plants a bomb and they're gone. All is wealth and everything is spied. What happened? Just happened. A man could be so healthy and wealthy and wise. And he's going for a vacation. And boom, there's an accident. What happened? Time and chance happened to all. The most important thing is, before you set out, Ask yourself, did I know the Lord? Because your life is only brief. You could be just snatched away. Where will you be going? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He is the pearl of great price. Not having him with all the wealth and the pressures of this world, it is zit, it is zero when your life is puffed up in a smoke, in an accident, in a flame. So now you come to realize and there is chance, time and chance happen to all people. You never know. A good man, a bad man, a wicked man, an honest man in the end. 
The most important thing I want you to understand is a wise man needs the Lord, a foolish man needs the Lord, a rich man needs the Lord, a poor man needs the Lord, a man in a castle needs the Lord, a homeless man needs the Lord. Ultimately, it's not here on earth, those 20, 40, 50, 60 years. It is, my friend, when everything else is said and done, where will you be? Will you be in eternity with God, with the pleasures forevermore? And with all that God has for, in store for you, or having enjoyed as the richest man in the world, and looking down, looking up to say, Abraham, if only you could send someone to, to put some water that I would not thirst. It's too late. There's a big chasten. It's just too late. What did you do while you were on earth? Your success is not measured in dollars and cents and castle and yacht and the big power and position and possession. It is measured in if I should die, where will I go? If I should die, where is my treasure that neither rust nor thief could corrupt or rust or steal? The most important thing, my friend, for all mankind, we come to realization no matter how well you prepare your plan, that is good. No matter how much you put the eggs in the right basket, but in the end, it just could happen. Time and chance happen to us all. And you know what? This is against the grain of what you and I can be thinking. Prosperity is to those that are blessed. Really? The most prosperous people who have made a pact with mammon, not with God. The last time I looked, it's people who have made a pact with mammon, not with the Lord. So just in case the prosperity preachers tell you that it's all about prosperity, where are they in the top line of the prosperous people in the world? Nowhere near. I want you to understand the most prosperity things is measured not here on earth. It is ultimate in heaven where there is for eternity and time will be merged into no more time, but into eternity. And you have it all. And the joy of knowing and being there and worshiping and enjoying everything in heaven is worth it all. For all that you're going through, the great weight is nothing compared to the great weight that is in heaven waiting for you. So, it's important we understand this very important principle and so when you read this passage, you realize that yes, there are times when we go through difficulties and we need to balance things out. No matter whether experience, whether it is in time, whether it is in processing, we need to balance this in our learning. Oh, I have learned this and this is what I found. What I thought was a great gain actually turned out to be a loss. And what I thought was a loss... I came to know in the process of time and experience that it is really the greatest blessing. Now, that being said, I want you to understand that is not to say that we must be smug and not work at all. We need to. Whether it's going to rain or snow, sunshine or cloud, we are meant to be like God creation within us. We have to do what we have to do and leave the future to the Lord. Leave everything to the Lord. But we need to do what we are called to do.
whether in terms of physical, professional, or spiritual, to be witnesses for Jesus and to bear fruit, it is an ongoing situation. So when you read Proverbs, let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. Listen to what the wise man says. Whatever your hand findeth to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work, no device, no knowledge, no wisdom in the grave where you go. So this is the time you got to do it. It might snow, it might rain, there may not be rain, but you do what you have to do. Because it becomes you. And remember this one thing. No matter what we do, we need to realize we are not defined. Can I explain this? We are not defined by circumstances, condition, possession, or the state of whatever you call it. It is learning to be content no matter what situation, condition, or situation. So we come to this place, there's a thing that we're called to work. And in and of itself, there is nothing wrong in having money or not having money. Whether having a house or a castle or not having a castle but an apartment, it is not the accumulation of wealth that makes you wealthy. It is when you reach in heaven, is it through wealth? That is what matters. So, I want you to know this. Wealth can corrupt. Poverty can corrupt. Both of them can be extreme corruption. Or, wealth can bless. And poverty can bless. Pastor, what are you saying? It's a matter of what your perception is from the heavenly point of view. It depends on what is your accumulation thinking, your mindset. Is it of the world standard or is it of the heavenly standard? So here, when you read Proverbs chapter 30, reading from verse 7, to verse 9. Let me read this and then I'll come back to verse 8. It says here two things. The preacher says, I have decided, I require of you, deny me not before I die. Tell me, preacher, what is it the two things you want? But he explains first, there's something he doesn't want. And that's found in verse 8. He says, remove from me vanity and lies. Ha! He got it. Even before he could ask for two desires, he realizes, I don't want to be colored by sin. Vanity and riches. Vanity and lies, I'm sorry. Pride and lies. Deception of deception. I don't want to be entangled with it. So even before you ask you, I ask you, Lord, the two requests, remove from me. This fruit of sin, vanity, pride, lies. I don't want that. They'll corrupt me. Okay, what do you want? Give me neither, excuse me, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. 
You know how I am made. You have made me. You have wired me in and out. Can I contain this? Or should it corrupt me? Give me according to the way you planned for eternity. I don't want to have something that's not for me. I won't be able to handle. Neither do I want to be denied what I should not, I should be having. I come to a place, Lord, you gave me, I receive it with thanksgiving. Nothing more, nothing less. So that I won't be messed up. What is it, preacher? Tell me. Verse 9, he goes on to say that I would be so rich and wealthy that I would be full and deny these things. Who is the Lord? Lord, if I come to a place where I'm so wealthy, filthy rich, that I would be in Hollywood, curse my Lord Jesus and say, it's all right. And say, I know God and don't know and mention the name of Yahweh. That I'm so full. And yet, I get up and say, hey, it's me. I have done it all. I worked my way. I'm a self-made man. Who is God? Did you not know? Have you not studied? Have you given up what you had at a young age learned? Oh, I don't want to be that, Lord. You know the end from the beginning. If this riches is going to corrupt me, there's nothing wrong with riches. But if this riches is going to corrupt me, I don't want it. You know. Or I be poor. There's a blessing in riches. There's a blessing in poverty. But there is a curse. And there's a curse in wealth and poverty, depending on how we handle it. Lest I be poor and steal and take the name of the Lord in vain. I don't want that, Lord. I don't want that either. So he says in verse 10, Oh, that's where, accuse not a servant to his master, lest he curse you and be found guilty. What he's saying is the two extremes in verse 9 is culmination. Now, what you, I want you to understand something very important. Wealth and poverty in and of itself are not bad. It's how you allow it to make it good or bad. Wealth can be a blessing. Poverty can be a blessing. But let me first talk about wealth be a, being a blessing. Proverbs, the same preacher says in chapter 3, he says, lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And then chapter 3 and verse 9, he goes on to say, this is what he says, honor the Lord. With thy substance, with the first fruits of all your increase, honor the Lord. You have the privilege of saying, Lord, I'm only a conduit, an instrument. Like Abraham, you are blessed. Blessed to be a blessing. Not so I would be blessed and look down on others. That's the greatest curse. Blessed so that I be conduit, an instrument. 
that the gift that you gave me, the talent that you gave me, the money that you gave me, and even the experience of poverty that you give could be a blessing to others. The comfort and the discomfort would be a blessing to others. They will be learning lessons. But let me say about the blessing of being wealthy. Honor the Lord with your substance, with your first fruits, and with all your increase. And verse 10, he goes on to say, honor the Lord. So shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your presses shall burst forth a new wine. Isn't that a blessing? David was so immensely grateful because he had called upon people so he could prepare for the house of God which his son Solomon would soon build. But he is making preparation. And when he asked for people to give for the kingdom of God and for the church, and saying, you know what, I don't understand. He speaks about money. No, listen to the response of the people, because he writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 29, and listen carefully to what he says in verse 14. This is what he says in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 14. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after the sword? For all things, by the way, they're yours, Lord. For all things come of thee, and to thine we is given to thee. We are only a coin to it. You blessed us, and we bless you, and we bless others. Then he goes on to say in verse 16, we don't have time to dwell on it. He says, O Lord our God, all the store that we are prepared to build and house for thine holy name comes out of your hand, it's all yours. We're just returning back. We're not keeping it. This is incredibly amazing, isn't it? And so it's so abundant, it's so precious. And yet we need to be mindful. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 22 says, the blessing of the Lord, it make it rich. Not simply to build a mansion, not simply to buy the most fanciest car, a lot of preachers are doing this, but says the blessing of the Lord, it make it rich. It makes you together with others rich. Your ministry makes others wealthy. Your gifts and talents make others wealthy and rich. And he added, no sorrow with it. But the danger could be so disastrous because in the same chapter of chapter 10 and verse 4, listen to what the preacher says. He says here, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. He's just lazy. He says, what's the big deal? I don't need to use the gift. I don't need to use the talent. I don't need to use that one talent, three talent, five talent the Lord has given. You know what? I'll just give it back to him. But he says, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the end of the religion maketh rich. There's nothing wrong with that. There again in cha Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 27. Here's the preacher says, The slothful man roasteth not that which he took. I mean, he's hunted the lamb, but he's just too lazy to roast it. Have you heard of somebody like that? Having a barbecue and still the sheep is saying, Bah! Chapter 13, verse 11, look at what the preacher says. Wealth gotten by vanity, by deceit, shall be diminished. But he that gathereth thy labor shall increase. So it's important for us to understand all of this. 
The preacher is giving us wise lessons. So he says in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 28, he goes on to tell us, don't trust riches. It shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish like a branch. You say, but he just died of COVID. Oh, he's alive with the Lord, blessed and happy to be with the Lord. So don't judge everything by earthly standard, but in the light of eternity. So when you look at all of this, you realize there is blessing in riches, but there is a curse in riches. It depends on can you handle it. Don't ask for a plane if you are going to be so wealthy and so proud and you end up in a disaster. But I want you to understand, this is amazing that uh, Proverbs says, don't trust in riches. In fact, the New Testament counterpart is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Listen to what two words that Paul is saying, but they that will be rich fall into temptation. Be careful if you can't handle money. Why it's not money that is the root of all evil, but verse 10 specifically says, the love, chapter 6 and verse 10, uh, the love of money is the root of all evil, which some have coveted after, coveted after. The moment you get so rich, you want to get your poor neighbor's property, your other neighbor's property, you would cheat to get anything, just know this man's demise is sure he's going down. If not here on earth, eternity, he's down in hell. So all this is say is important we understand how this plays out. There are people, and I don't have time to explain this, who have made a pact with mammon. In various religions, there is the god or goddess of wealth. They have made a pact, they have been doing extremely well, but they don't realize how dangerous it is to play with the devil and to make a pact with the devil. It's horrible. For the time they will have wealth and they could have all they want, but they're on their way to the broad road of destruction. This not wealth doesn't come from God. That's a different thing, which is a blessing. And so, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. It's a person and mammon who gives that money and wealth illegally or covetously is a person. It's Lucifer himself, no matter what other titles of gods and goddesses you want to use. But when you realize sometimes you can't handle money, it's going to split the family. I mean, the number of people who got lottery tickets. Here's a man who won a lottery ticket, and the girl was after him, and finally the man has disappeared. She killed him and cemented him under her apartment. Uh, under a basement. The numbers of homes that have been split because they couldn't handle money. The number of people that were nice and gentle became so avaricious and greedy. Gimme, 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 that they, all of them have gone crazy. There's a man who's written a book, How Not to Win the Lottery. Just like somebody who said, win the lottery and do good. It's a matter of perception. Listen, it's very important we understand. It happens to godly people. When you turn to Genesis chapter 13 and verse 6 about Abraham, 
It says here, and the land was not able to bear them. They, they might dwell together, they might dwell together, they might dwell together, for their substance was great. We're talking about Abraham and his lousy nephew, Lot was so great that they could not dwell together. A family was destroyed. Verse 7 says, there was a strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdsmen of Lord's cattle and the unbelievers, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, dwell in the hand and they were laughing. Look at these godly people. They can't handle money. They shouldn't have had this. It split them up and ultimately lost, lost his family with his covetousness. And yet he was a godly man. I want you to understand the real balance is simply in a nutshell put by the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon of the Mount. And this is so amazingly accurate. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11 the prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. Whether it's a big loaf or a small loaf. Whether it is in terms of a million or in terms of a thousand. You know what is good for me, but give me daily that I could depend upon you and not on my wealth and not on my fortune, but it will leave but I need to look to you so I could stretch my hands. Give me this day our daily bread. This is very powerful because when you read the book of Proverbs, something very, very important, the preacher says in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 16, listen to what he says. It's a very powerful word. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 16, he tells us the blessing. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great riches and trouble that come with it. So he's not saying wealth is bad and poverty is bad, but he's telling you, can you handle it? So just ask, Lord, sufficient for me, you know, Give me, but I can, if I can handle all that, Lord, I'll be. But preachers have got money and they preach a prosperity gospel. Jesus is missing. I want you to understand in the midst of it, there's nothing wrong with poverty, uh, the, uh, with wealth. But there's nothing wrong with poverty. Why do I say that? This is a very difficult time in Paul's life. He's a man that has prayed for people and seen miracles. Wherever he has gone, there's revival or riot. People have been blessed. People have been healed. People have been strengthened. People have been revived. But in the midst of all of this, he went through what he calls the thorn in the flesh. And he writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. To make it short, he went and asked the Lord, not one time, not two times, three times, and the Lord didn't answer. And ultimately he said, why, Lord? And the Lord answered, and is so subtly, so wonderfully given. And what does he say? You read with me 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 and 10. You could read all the way from verse 5, but 9 and 10 will suffice. He said, that is the Lord, my 
grace is sufficient. Whether it be a physical, whether it's prison, whether it's people who hate him, whether it's persecution, remove it, Lord. I've seen you do that when I prayed for people. But the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. Endure this so you wouldn't get a thick head. You're seeing miracles after miracles. I don't want to lose you. And so I'm putting you in the situation so you would depend upon me. What is the solution? He says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient than the thorn in the flesh. My grace, your grace is sufficient than what I'm going through in prison. Your grace is sufficient with all that I'm going through with persecution. My grace is sufficient. And so he says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities. Are you glorying in your infirmities, in your poverty, in your prison? No, no, he's not a prisoner of Caesar. He always said he was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. Not one time a prisoner of Caesar. He glories in that because that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And verse 10, he goes on to say, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. What a blessed man. You look at Paul and say, St. Paul, a great man, and yet he chose infirmities more than what would be the opposite of infirmities. In reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can you understand this man? His head is going to be chopped off. And he says, my time has come to an end. I've been like a drink offering. Pulled. But he says, I have finished my race. I've run my course. The Lord is waiting for me with the reward. That is the greatest joy. I want you to know, my friend, in the end, what we need to understand is this very important aspect of what the Lord talks about and that he found the secret. And this is so important. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 45, seek, if you think about the most costliest thing, the then, then known world, it was the pearl. And yet Jesus is saying, seek, the pearl of great price. What would you have? I like to have the pearl. But if you take that pearl, make sure you have greater, the pearl of great price. That is the Lord Jesus. In verse 46, uh, chapter 13, he had found one great price. He went and sold. He's willing to sell everything for that pearl. And who is that? Paul is revealing the secret where he experienced compared to everything in the world. And that is what he finds in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. Towards the end, he says, this is the mystery. Christ Jesus in me, the hope of glory. Compared to everything in the world, remember this. God blesses you. God well puts you in wealth. And there's the ups and there's the down. But in all of this, never forget Christ in you, the hope of glory, is with you in good times and in bad times, in the best of times and in the worst of times. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.